Okay. Hi. So today's topic is the divine witness. And this is something that I've been contemplating for a few months. It's been honestly a little bit of a difficult topic for me because it all stemmed from an experience I had that was quite traumatic. Um, a couple of months ago, I nearly died. I was drowning in the ocean and I was like shouting for help and making a big commotion and people were just watching me on the shore. And I was close enough to the shore, I could actually see their faces. And they were just watching me as if, um, like I was entertainment almost. And it was a very traumatic and annihilating feeling because there was actually a lifeguard nearby, but no one ran for him. They just were watching me. And what I experienced internally was the most traumatic part, which was that um, realizing that there was no hope, I physically couldn't get myself out of the tide. Um, I realized I was going to die. Like, I'm just going to die. I'm going to die and I'm going to die while these people are watching me die. It felt like a very sick kind of, you know, sickening kind of experience. And the most traumatic thing about this whole experience was my internal state, which was, I'm just gonna give up then. I just decided I'm just gonna die. I'm gonna just swallow water or not swallow water. I'm gonna like breathe in water in the next 60 seconds and start again, you know? And it was right at that moment when I basically surrendered that um, someone came, grabbed me around my waist and said, I've got you. So um, I'm here and I definitely had to do some sort of work on myself after that experience. But it was a very difficult experience to realize how close I came to what felt like a death wish that I had had this whole time. You know, it was very painful for me to feel that within myself because it came bubbling up to the surface. I'm like, holy shit, it was very easy for me to let go of my own life. And that was very um, shocking because at that point in my life, I actually really liked my life. Um, in many ways, you could say it's like the best life I had had in my life so far. So why did I let go of my life so quickly? And yes, it had something to do with the witnesses on the shore who just didn't seem to care if I was going to die. You know, they couldn't bother, bother to come out of a stupor and go and do, do something. And of course, one person did. One person literally saved my life and I, owe, I literally owe him my life. And uh, thank you to him. But it was that kind of erasure or annihilation that actually was something that I think we all run away from that is actually a very familiar feeling. And it's very similar actually to when you're a little girl and you wanna show your mom something. You're like, look at this painting I made. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she's too busy, you know, it's this erasure. And when you're little, if your mom doesn't see you, you feel like you're going to die or you feel like you don't matter. And in some cases you'd rather die than have your mom not see you. It doesn't matter if everyone else sees you. It doesn't matter if like, you know, like, I don't know, someone down the street sees you, it matters if mom sees you. That's like the most important thing, mom witnessing you. So to me, it took me a really long time to digest this. You know, did I not witness myself enough? Did I really need those outside people? You know, why did I allow them to set the value of my life? because my reaction was pretty much just to like, you know, mimic them. So about one month later, or actually exactly one month later to the date, 
on the exact same date, one month later, I had a pretty intense other kind of experience. Um, it was an experience where you can say I left my body. And then I got a lot more, a lot more on this like meaninglessness of life kind of thing. Um, and it was also really hard for me to digest this information because it felt very nihilistic and it felt almost like I had to really sit with myself. I'm like, am I depressed? Should I trust this information I received? What I got was this, I'll just present it. You don't have to agree with it. But what I got was, you know, I'm not quite sure that there is inherent, inherent meaning to life. And what do I mean by that? You know, there's like a shit ton of snowflakes out there. Each one is unique. You know, there's never going to be another snowflake like that. But at some point, those snowflakes are going to melt and die. Does that matter? Should we go out and like save every single individual snowflake? You know, or should we, does that, or is, is that just like the life cycle of the snowflake? Um, if you pluck a harp string, you know, and it makes a sound, at some point the sound dies, dies out. Is that bad? That's the life cycle of that sound, you know? And what I sensed was we are very similar to that sound or that snowflake. We have a very natural life cycle. You know, things are born and they die. And in many ways, it just is. It just is like that. But there's some part of us, which we will call our ego, that doesn't want to die. It has a will to survive. It has a survival instinct and goes, I don't want to die. So it's like that harp string sound going, oh, you know, like, give me something else to feed me so I can last a little bit longer. Or it's that snowflake being like, I don't want to melt. Do, let me do something so I can last a little bit longer. And there's this tension in it. You know, it's almost like human existence requires tension. And addiction, like our minds have to be caught up on something or else we don't feel like we exist. So after my physical near-death experience and this other experience where the meaningfulness or the meaninglessness of life came to me very, very strongly, I had to sit with this information for a very, very long period of time. And right now I feel like presenting some ideas to you and you don't have to agree with these ideas. You don't have to like these ideas, but I'll present them to you and thank you for listening to them. Just a second. Okay, so I was talking about two very personal experiences I had that caused me to have to look at the meaning of life and that it was a very difficult topic for me because the, the message I got was there was no meaning to life. And um, I didn't know what to make of that. You know, your ego does not like that. You're like, no, my life is extraordinarily meaningful. What are you, what the fuck are you talking about, right? But I couldn't deny how easy it was for me to agree that my life had no meaning when I was about to die. So I want to say a few things. One is, let's just go with this idea that maybe there is no inherent meaning to life. Let's just say that for the time being. Then I think people try to make meaning of their life and they do it in two different ways that I see. Um, you try to make meaning of your life by being a copy. So for example, you might consider me to be something like Korean American. So the Korean aspect of me, genetically, I'm a copy. I'm a copy of my biological mother and father. Like literally my DNA is a copy, right? This idea of Korea also, Korea is a copy. There's the idea of a country. The idea of a country is a copy. There are other countries, other countries had to come before for there to even be this conception of a, of, of a country. Um, 
anything that's a Korean tradition that I say I resonate with, that's a copy. It came before and I just copy it, right? In many ways, we just copy our moms, whatever she says and does, we do. Even if she says things like, oh girl, you know, if she says something like that, little three-year-olds, they say that, they just like copy their moms. Even if you do something that we would say has like, you know, importance, like for example, in many regions of many parts of the world, there are traditions that have to do with that region. You know, if you're a sheep herder, it has to do with that region because you can grow sheep in that region. So you have a lot of traditions around sheep herding, around, um, you know, culling and like, you know, doing art artisanal crafts with, the, with um, sheep milk and stuff like this. And we go, oh, that's valuable, you know? All of that is a copy. Like there's very little, I would argue that's not a copy. And in fact, I think almost everything, you can argue almost everything is a copy, in which case, what is realness, you know? Like if you are a copy, you know, I'm let's say a biological woman, that's a copy. That's a copy of a lot of ideas, including the idea of woman and man or like feminine and masculine, um, my cells. I mean, I can go on and on. So there's a lot here where you try to create meaning out of being a copy. And what you do is you latch onto the value that other people have put on things that came before. So if there's some kind of tradition in your family, people put value in that tradition. So if you partake in that tradition, then you're copying. But through that, you try to give yourself value, you can say, or give yourself meaning. You can say, my life is meaningful because I'm, I'm doing this tradition. Some people, let's say they, um, their family has been making tofu for 400 years, the old fashioned way by hand. And we say, oh yeah, that's valuable. I'm important because I'm carrying on this tradition of 400 years of tofu making. No one else in my country even makes it by hand anymore. It's too difficult. Everyone else makes it by machine. I'm valuable. My life has meaning because I'm carrying on the tradition of this 400 year old tofu thing. You know, everything dies at some point, even that's going to die. And there are many, 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 many things that came before us that are already dead. I think the other way that people try to create meaning out of their lives is to have control over other people and their lives through force. So if you can control someone else's body or you can control the way they think, you also can try and create meaning from your life. And there's many, many, many ways in which that you can do this. Our whole uh, society is based on this kind of control from the top down actually. So I can go into that for a little bit. It gets a little bit dark but I'm gonna argue that there's a third way. There's a third way that you can create meaning from your life. In many ways, even this talk has no meaning. I'm pretty much a snowflake talking to other snowflakes about the meaning of being a snowflake. Do you see? <laughs> there's like a nothingness to it. There's no need quality, what we're doing is we're using our minds and trying to understand. This is an addiction. And this makes us feel like we exist, you know? Um, anyway, let's just continue doing this. <laughs> but I would argue that there is a third way to have meaning. So on this baseline, nihilistic, annihilating, to me quite honestly sad, 
feeling of an inherent meaninglessness to life or even to your own personal life. What the fuck are you going to do? Why are we here? You know, what can, what can we do about this? I would argue that you as a human having this experience that is inherently filled with suffering, you witnessing another human going, Hey, I understand. Like, I understand exactly what it feels like to be suffering and I see you. In the midst of um, my two death experiences, I had this other experience that was really, really interesting. Um, there's a long story behind it, but in the end, I ended up being in a very, very, very vulnerable position, extremely vulnerable. I was crying and I wasn't doing anything and I was being witnessed by this other person and he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't like hugging me. He wasn't saying anything. He wasn't saying like, oh, you're so brave. It's going to get better. Nothing like that. I was crying and I was making eye contact with him and he was making eye contact with me and he was looking like this. So for those of you who couldn't see what I just did, I was looking into the camera with my eyes like brimming with love. It was just witnessing with love. And one way to um, deconstruct that is the masculine honoring the feminine with no needs, with no agenda, not needing her to be any different. Everything is perfect. And he's just there to witness. And basically he's honoring the experience. So I would argue that the third thing we can do besides being a copy and trying to make meaning out of copying or using force, trying to control other people's lives, which is like a whole other topic. The third thing we can do is to witness each other with love and be like, hey, I get it. And the quality of this witnessing is the masculine holding the feminine, not judging her, not measuring her, not needing anything to be different, but just loving her and understanding, you know, you know exactly what it feels like to be a human who is suffering. And you know exactly what it feels like to feel this kind of inherent meaninglessness underneath it all. And I would argue that obviously that this is healing and peaceful and compassionate, but that can be the little thing you do. If you have this meaninglessness in your life, you kind of feel as if, you know, mom didn't see you. This is where you learned that you don't matter, but maybe everything doesn't matter anyway. This is how you can create meaning through like connection and you can't do this unless you're willing to be connected to yourself first. You can't hold space for other people better than you hold space for yourself. That's literally impossible. So you practice with yourself first. Um, and after that, you can practice with other people. And I feel like this is such a strong argument for compassion and like love. And it sounds so simple and like um, hippie or like Jesus-y or something like that. But I feel like through my own personal experience of almost dying twice, this is the only natural conclusion. <laughs> so 
those were the ideas I wanted to present. There are more details that I might share a little bit more of later, but I'm curious how this is landing with people and if they have questions or comments or feedback. Ali? Um, I think it's very interesting. I never really looked at life as different options. Um, I used to sort of like think of it as just like one thing, but you pointed out the three different things um, about control and um, control. And then you just mentioned now, like the first, um, the experience you had with the ocean, um, the, there's obviously this feeling that you have when you uh decide to let go and it's a feeling which is i mean i'm not very good at verbalizing <laughs> um i mean un understanding that at some point your mind is sort of blank and you're just like okay this is it and then witnessing each other and just even if it isn't a full-on conversation um yeah, um, I agree with what you say, and it's, it sits well with me, and I find it really interesting. All right, thank you for sharing. And you didn't touch on this at all, but for whatever reason, as you were talking, what came to mind was this other thing. I mean, I kind of said it, but I didn't say it straight up, so I'll just say it straight up. The reason why we are all addicted, and we are, our minds are all addicted to something, even if it's not a substance, it's something, right? Um, it's to it's because some aspect of us has become entitized. Some aspect of us doesn't want to die. And that addiction helps us feel like we're going to make ourselves last longer. So to me, that is my answer to why are we all addicted? And I could argue, this is a theoretical argument. It's not a prescription. You may find yourself kind of addicted to at least one thing for the rest of your life <laughs> because I also think it's a possibility, it's a possibility that kind of keeping yourself at a lower vibration is part and parcel of being a human and having the human experience. Because if you're absolutely liberated, no addictions, no attachment. So you don't even care if you're here or not here. It doesn't matter. I think you just vibrate out of here and stop being human. So to be human, you could argue, I'm not gonna say this is an absolute truth with a capital T, but it's a, it's a thought. Um, you kind of want to have some kind of suffering to have friction and that creates what we consider to be a human experience with like, you know, um, good guys and bad guys and like stories and like victories and, you know, like the hero's journey of overcoming difficulty and stuff like this usually we create the difficulties that we have to overcome. We create them. Um, that's a whole other topic, but, but I think that's why we have this like addiction, this kind of like mind turned inwards that can't seem to help itself. Okay, St Stefan, you were saying something? Hi, um, I kind of wanted to add that the way you explained love stemming from like compassion stemming from witnessing um that explanation is very interesting because 
you know, you always hear something like, oh, the meaning of life is love or love is the answer or whatever. Sorry, and, could you speak up? Say that last thing one more time and much louder. You always hear what? Yeah, can you hear me okay? Yeah, but when you shout, it's easier. So you said you always hear. Okay, you always hear things like um, the, the answer is love or life is about love or whatever. And it almost seems like the way you explained it made that um, very well-known idea like complete. It explained it. Like, I never sat down to think about, oh yeah, the answer is love. I never sat down to think about um, the meaning of life is love, even though I think many people have said this. But the way you just explained it makes it seem like now that idea is complete in my mind, yeah. Great, that's nice. Thanks, thanks for sharing that. That was also my personal experience. <laughs> yeah, because I mean, you yeah. Hear, yeah, you hear that. Uh, the universe is love and this and that kind of thing. And maybe we've experienced this, we experienced those kinds of things in other ways, but this like end conclusion of like, okay, the best thing to do is to be kind. I'm serious. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Someone else? I find it very interesting how this thing, like how you went into the topic with culture of us like trying to keep things alive in order to give meaning or have meaning, give ourselves meaning, give that whatever we do meaning. Um, and I really think it would be of great value because I really liked when you shared with me the Ai Weiwei um, cultural explanation of one of his artworks. So sure. I wanted to ask you if you could share that. Sure, yeah, thanks. Thanks for bringing that up. I was talking to Simone about this topic earlier and I was talking to her about, remember when I used to live in New York City for a very long time, I was like a culture fiend. I love culture. I still do. I love art, modern art, dance. I love food. Like I'm into culture. Even if that's a copy. <laughs> anyway, so I was like uh, mentioning an Ai Weiwei piece that I really love. I didn't understand it fully, but it shocked me. Um, you're probably familiar with it if you're into this kind of thing. Um, Ai Weiwei took like a Ming era vase and just, he just dropped it and destroyed it. And he filmed himself doing this. And um, he also took a bunch of other vases, priceless. And he just painted over them like a yucky color, you know? <laughs> and he was basically like destroying their value or saying that they're valueless or they're meaningless, you could say. I mean, you don't have to agree with my interpretation of his art, you know, you can interpret it your way. Um, but to me, I remember being so shocked, like, how dare you, how dare you? It's similar to like, if I took like a $100 bill and I just burned it right in front of you, you're like, <gasps> you know, like, don't do that. <laughs> you know, like there's this kind of like, <gasps> like this kind of like, I, we all agree that that has value, don't destroy it. I'm working towards achieving that, don't destroy it. Don't say that it has no value, don't take that from me. Right. 
So it's very similar. It's not the same, but it's similar. And so him to me pointing out the inherent meaninglessness of a boss, that it only had meaning or value that other people ascribed to it, but it in and of itself did not have inherent meaning, you know? I mean, it's very similar to, I have this object, it's just an object. Um, I could throw it away, it doesn't matter. It's, it, it doesn't matter what it costs or anything. But if I say, oh my God, you know, my, my teacher gave this to me and said that it came from her teacher, you know, and she said that I'm the lineage holder. And whenever I do sacred work, I should use this in order to bless blah, 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 blah. Suddenly this thing is like priceless, but it only has meaning or value that I ascribe to it. So it has all to do with my witnessing, you know, it has to do with my witnessing and like, honestly, my ego and the, all of my copies. Now I'm a copy of my teacher who is a copy of her teacher. So the ego of me, which is a copy decided that this has value. Do you see? Like it still has no inherent, it still has no inherent value. It's only because I ascribed it value. And the part of me that ascribed it value was a copy. So for whatever reason, Simona, I'm pretty sure I talked about the Ai Weiwei piece better when I was talking to you about it originally, because it was an original idea back then. Now it's a stale idea for me. So I can kind of rake over it, but yeah. <laughs> Um, I don't know how that strikes you, you personally, Simona, or anyone else in the room. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Um, another question just came up um, onto my mind because you were talking about copies. Yeah. So what is like the original? I would argue that there is no original. That's my argument. You don't have to agree with it. Um, I wanna go sideways into a little side topic just for a little bit. Um, I kind of skipped over it because I didn't wanna get lost in a hole, but you know, power is addictive. And however much power you have, you want more. This is just almost like a fact. Um, and this is a whole big old other kind of topic. But one way that you can even um, consider evil, like a definition of evil, is that it's like just wants power at all cost. That's it, that's it, period, that's it. Um, and in that way, we all have some kind of evil, right? And that's okay. To deny that would be to be in denial, which I think is uh, not very wise. And I remember listening to someone talk about something. So I can't quote or give you the exact source, but he was doing a book and he interviewed a lot of people who had money. And he said, how much money do you need to feel safe? And no matter how much money these people's had, they always said double of their current net value or whatever. So if they had $2 million, they'd say, oh, I need $4 million to feel safe. If they had $200 million, they said, I need $400 million to feel safe. It was never enough. Like you, would, you can never have enough money. You can never have enough power to feel safe because it will never negate the inherent feeling that you don't mean anything.
So I'll go back. I'll go back to my underlying point, which is the only thing you can do is cultivate relationships with other humans where they witness you with love and you witness them with love. And through that experience together, you can create meaning. Recently, I was talking to my friend. She's, uh, she lives in Japan. I love her, she's so cute. She's very different than me. And somehow we talk about the same thing at completely different angles. And we were having a conversation similar to this one. And she was saying, oh, I just read something. I read about how to have longevity. It's a scientific study. So number one, eat a lot of vegetables. Number two, whatever protein you eat, whatever protein that is, um, make, it sh make sure it's fresh. Like if you eat fish, make sure it's fresh fish, et cetera. And number three, have really good friendships. Like this leads to a long, healthy life. So that was her way of seeing it. <laughs> Any other comments or questions from people in the room? Stefan? I, I had a question when you were talking about the ego. Um, would you, so my question is, would you say that like in order to witness, in order to love, you have to use your ego, kind of like being your ego to be able to assign the value in that in the first place? Yeah, that's, you only love with ego in that sense? That's such a good question. That's such a good question. I mean, okay, so first of all, I think we can all agree that as long as we're human, we're going to have an ego. I mean, it just it comes with the territory. Um, and your ego isn't necessarily bad, but it's more like who is running the ship? You know, is your ego running the ship and you think you're your ego and you're an extremely unconscious person? Or do you wear your ego quite lightly, which is what most Eastern philosophies would, would recommend. You wear your ego very, very lightly um, and you come from a deeper place. Let me tap into that for a second. So this is what I'll say. You don't have to agree with me and it may not apply in all circumstances, but this is what I'll say. And sometimes I definitely feel this, I feel this with very specific people. This is a joke, right? All of us, we're not separate people. We're the same source. We're the same energy. We created this set dressing, you know? This is like a skin, a character, an avatar, you can say, for a consciousness to live out what feels like a human life, but it's all an illusion. This is an illusion. So this is not real. In which case I am not real, you know, what I think of as my birth, my career, my relationships, my death, that is all not real. So you're not real either. So what are we witnessing if none of this is real? I would say that we're joking together and we're kind of like winking at each other and like, we get it. Like we get it. I get that you're not you, you get that I'm not me. And we're like looking at each other and we sense the mirroring, like we feel it, you know? And like, I know you're not separate from me. I know you're me dressed up to look separate from me. We're gonna wink at each other and start laughing. Like to me, that is witnessing. Like getting, like laughing at the cosmic joke and like really having a good time. Um, 
I experienced this recently in a very different qualitative way. I was saying goodbye to a friend. Um, we had to end our friendship, at least for the time being, probably forever, because there was a lack of integrity. And that was not okay. But we loved each other. And so we just looked at each other. It was through Zoom. We're, we, looked, we looked at each other for probably like 30 minutes in silence, like this. It was just like we were in love, you know? Like we were in love with her, me. We were the same. We weren't different. And our dance in what feels like this lifetime has come to an end. And I'll see you again in the next lifetime, you know? Like it was very beautiful. It was like the most love-filled goodbye I think I've ever had. And, um, and that was a version of the cosmic joke, I would say because the feeling was very similar. Like just knowing that she's not different from me, knowing that, yeah, if you wanna go at the complete superficial egotistical level, yeah, there was like a, a wrong <laughs> that had been made. Um, and so the feeling was not safe anymore. Um, so we're gonna say goodbye, but that didn't matter. That didn't matter because we knew that was like the surface level thing. We knew that that was just the game. That was just characters. You know, it's like, Simona, your character in the play slaps me across the face. And my character in the play goes, ah, how dare you, you know? But it's just a play. And at the end, we got to eat dinner together and we lick over our characters, you know? Like, it was a very strong sense of that. Another way to look at this, and I don't know, because I don't remember being a grandma in this lifetime yet, I like how I said that, <laughs> but anyway, I really do think that that's why grandparents and grandchildren connect in a very particular way because it's that witnessing, you know, I remember. And also you just came straight from source. You're a fresh little baby, you know, I'm about to go to source. You know, there's a very closeness to like, we are source kind of feeling. Whereas at the apex of your life, this is another kind of thing I talk about. It's a whole other thing about like your hero's journey and whatever. But at the apex of your life, when you are like, let's say, young middle age, I don't know, like you're around a parent till you can have kids or something like that age, that the apex of your life, I would say your ego is probably kind of like the strongest because you're the furthest from source in some kind of way. You don't have to agree with that. That's a whole theoretical argument. I have to talk about some other time. But I think the babies fresh from source who like even remember their past lives and like are like, what is up with this reality? You know, and, and the grandparents who are just like, they're farting in public and they don't care. You know, they don't care because they know that it doesn't matter. You know what I mean? They understand that there's no meaning and everything is a copy. They get it. Even if they wouldn't use those words, they get it. Um, I have a so other story with that, but anyway. So, so anyway, <laughs> anyway, I think that's why they can witness each other with that kind of like cosmic joke feeling, you know? <laughs> Can I ask you, please? Yeah, yeah, sure. Hollow, were you gonna ask something? I'll go to you next. Okay, yeah, Smeno. Um, so I wanted to ask because you were talking about basically that nothing's real. You're not real, I'm not real, we're not real. <laughs> Why then 
why is it that love makes everything real then in terms of like love like that witnessing in love Okay, so I have to pick apart some of the terms here. So just a moment, it may or may not make sense. Okay, you definitely do not have to agree with me, whatever I'm about to say, because it's very hard to agree on concepts. So I have to define certain concepts and then I'll lay out an argument and you definitely don't have to agree with me. So, okay. let's just say that we're already at Nirvana. Like we're already there. We're there right now, right now. It's not some place to get to. It's not a place to earn. We're always there. And we made some decision to do an overlay. And what this overlay does is it limits our ability to perceive. So now I have this like human body, it seems like it's an illusion, but I have this human body, it seems like, you know, I have eyes, so I can only see certain spectrums of light, et cetera. And I have some sort of consciousness that, um, that married with ego and like this whole system, everything, everything, everything. I can't sense that I'm at Nirvana. I can't, even though I'm there, but that's okay. It's just like if you walk outside and you put a glove on your hand, you did that on purpose. You know, you did that on purpose. You can't sense things the way you used to, but it was your choice. It's okay. No worries. So let's say you made a choice. Let's just say you made a choice. You were at, and you still are at Nirvana, but you decided to do an overlay. And this overlay looks like Simona. And it feels like Simona has a life. It feels like she was born into a family, was raised in a certain culture, all these things. Um, and then she has like goals you know, she wants to achieve them. She'll feel good if she achieves them, you know, and sometimes she has obstacles and that sucks and she overcomes the obstacles and it feels good. And she just gets to have this thing. Um, I would argue that the reason why you decided to do the overlay was to actually have this exact same experience that you're actually having. This is exactly it. The perfection of this, this is exactly it. You, you wanted to have this exact experience. Um, let's say you're at Nirvana now and you have no overlay. There is no way for you to perceive a Simona experience. It's impossible. You have to be in the Simona thing to have a Simona experience. Um, and it's like an adventure or ride, why not, you know? And so to go back and so to go back to like the love thing, I think it's really hard to talk about love because there's so many different ways to perceive it or feel it. I'll talk about it maybe without using the word love. You know, your body is a system that works well, you know, like even in really extreme conditions, it will function. You don't eat or drink for seven days, it will function. Sometimes it thrives because that's a really good detox for it you put in the Arctic, you put in the tropics, your body will function. Is that love? You can argue it's a kind of love. It loves itself. 
so it will function, you know? Like one aspect of your body, like your heart is not gonna give up on your foot. That's a really gross way to put it. Very reductionist, I don't like it. But like, do you see what I mean? Your body just functioning, it's just functioning. Is that love? I'm gonna argue it's a kind of love, it's a kind of love. It's a kind of commitment, you can say. It's a kind of like interconnectedness, interconnectedness that um, feels good. None of this can do this idea justice, right? Same with earth, you know, earth and all the inhabitants of earth, the plants, the animals, the rocks, like earth is a self-contained ecosystem that will always be for billions and billions and billions of years. We can throw nuclear waste into earth and she will digest it. So earth just being a self-contained system, is that love? And yet, this is a fact. If you own, own, if you, if, if you could even think about owning land, that's a whole other weird concept. That's control, by the way. That's the control power one. That's the control I have, meaning because I own this land. That's a control power one. If you, in quotation, big quotation marks, own a piece of land. So you energetically, like, this is your land. And you walk around on your land. That land will naturally grow plants that if you ate them as medicine would solve the diseases in your body that are coming out through the sweat at the bottom of your feet. I mean, this is a fact. Is that love? Obviously it's a kind of love, it's a kind of love. And so us witnessing each other, I'm going to say, I'm gonna say, you don't have to agree with me. <laughs> There's no right or wrong, it's just an idea. Um, that is tapping into that level of a kind of love in a very conscientious way, having a kind of quality of human experience that feels good. So just like with your body, you can starve your body, it will still function, or you can give it really good food and water, and then it'll function a different level, right? So what I'm arguing here is, why don't we function at our optimum level in terms of having the best, best is a huge quotation marks because that doesn't exist either. Like the best, huge quotation marks, human experience possible to us by sharing, you know, sharing this connection, sharing this witnessing this love. That's my answer. It's, <laughs> uh, I don't know uh, what you're thinking or feeling. How does that land? Yeah, thanks for explaining. And. Um, uh, what I heard you saying was kind of like everything is love in a way if we give it that meaning. <laughs> I mean, okay, another way to look at it is this. Everything is already enlightened. Therefore, everything is already love. And everything that we're doing that is not that is like play. Like, like, this may not be a, a very good analogy, but I'll try it out. Let's say you, Simona, and I, we love each other. And then we're in a play, in a, on a stage in front of people. And in this play, you slap me. As you slap me, you slap me. You know, you go for the feeling. You got to sell it, right, to the audience. They're, they want to have an experience, and you and I want to have an experience. The reason why we decided to be actors is to have these experiences. So you slap me, and I'm like, <gasps> you know, and I'm like shocked. Um, was that real? <laughs> right? Um, you can argue that underneath that, 
it was a shit ton of love. And the only way that that was a safe experience for me to walk into and have you slap me on the face night after night after night, because we're pl- putting on this play night is because I trust that you love me. <laughs> How does that land? Yeah, I think I, thank you. I think I still understand that just like when you were talking about nirvana before that like nirvana is abundant in all the feelings. It's so weird to define nirvana. <laughs> who, 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 am, who am I the snowflake to define nirvana, right? That sounds ridiculous. That sounds so ridiculous. Um, I'd rather just be a snowflake. I'm serious. Like it, it's just like a ridiculous. It's like a mind, mind masturbation that is a ridiculousness. Um, yeah. I don't even want to speak, but I'll just yeah. You're at Nirvana. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> don't worry about it. <laughs> Uh, I'll, I'll turn to Hala, just change the energy a little bit. We can go back to this because <laughs> it gets a little, a little um, to me, a lot of this is ineffable. Like it's almost not worth talking about, but we're doing it. Um, so Hala, were you going to say something? Yeah, um, you said an interesting point that made me think. Um, Could you please speak up and do something with your earbud thing? Because it's- Is it better now? Um, not that much better. <laughs> But if you just better now, up, yeah, that's better. Okay. So you said something really interesting how children and older people are closer to the source. Yeah. You mentioned something like that, and it made me think of um, how safe I feel when I'm around children or my grandparents are older people. And it's interesting because, I mean, for me, kids are amazing teachers. And when you're with older people or your grandparents, you see this wisdom. But it's like when you're still young, you don't have, no one's really listening to you. And then you want to grow up to be an adult. And that's when your voice is heard. But then you're saying when you're in this period, you're a bit further to the source. And then when you get older again, people don't listen to you as much. So it's just, it's, it's interesting. I don't know if I changed what you said, but this is what I took in. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. I'll reflect back to you what I hear and what you said. And it sounds extraordinarily reductionist to say someone around my age to like 20 years older than me is so far from source. They're, you know, they're fucked, you know, like it's, 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 it's weird to say that, um, that's being taken out of context. So I will talk about that some other point in time and explain that a little bit further. Um, but anyway, one thing you can observe in society is someone who's around my age to 20 years older than me probably has the most power in the hierarchy. So when you have the most power in the hierarchy, you're bound to fall into this whole, I have meaning because I have money and power, right? You know, and what I noticed just a few years ago was around people around my age started to become executives at like Netflix and they decided to create recreations of their childhood TV shows because they were able to give the green light. 
And all of a sudden, for the last five years, I've been seeing a lot of like recreations, copies of TV shows from when I was a child now being programmed to the younger people. And I'm like, wow, wow. You know, the so th those are the two things combined. It's like making meaning out of copy. And um, like, it's like a nostalgia, right? Like it, we, we think of this as a good thing. Like I watched this documentary about a guy who lives in New York City and he makes tamales the exact same way his grandma did. And obviously the documentary thinks this is a good thing. Oh, you know, when he got that taste, his grandma's not here anymore. So when he got that taste, that tasted just or as close as possible to his grandma's tamales taste, wow, he achieved something, you know? But to me, that's a, that's a copy. It's a copy, you know? It's, it's a nostalgia um, and that's okay. But that's how he creates meaning out of his life is copy. And so if you combine the two, like you have the most power in, in, in the TV shows, exec, whatever, the TV studio now, you have the most power, you green light a copy that makes you feel meaningful because it's from your childhood. It's like both combined, it's like the apex point. And I think it just is, is almost like a matter of how our society works. In other societies, I bet you people who are older have more power in the hierarchy. So it wouldn't work like that. So maybe in our, just in our Western culture, it works like this. So it's this like confluence, it's the confluence of, of your furthest from source, you're probably most in your ego, you're benefiting the most from um, the power and the force given to you by society, society being a copy. And then what you probably want to enforce is copies that reinforce your copy. So yeah, that's very interesting. And it's relaxing, it's much more relaxing to be a child who farts in public or a grandpa who farts in public is much more relaxing. <laughs> but, but what you give up is um, the, the, the imprimatur given to you by society to put your force on other people because you're not given that power in hierarchy. And that probably helps you, you know? That probably helps you not be so fucking addicted to that way of creating meaning. It's probably easier to create meaning the third way, which is through connection. Okay, I'm going to check on the time. So we technically have around 30 minutes left. <laughs> What's going on for people? Ale? Um, yeah, it's just, uh, no, I don't really have a question. I was just wanting to say that that's a very interesting, um, point about age. Um, because what I noticed most when I sort of grew up was not when, when you're younger, because you're not as heard as Hala said, because you're not as heard, you want to grow up as fast as you can. Yeah. But then yeah. when you like self-reflect, you take a moment to look back there's this innocence you have when you're younger because you don't you don't really grasp um what society says then because it's none of your concern at that age and also when you're older 
you sort of let go in that manner of society says so because at that age more you can say well I'm old they'll understand but it's just very interesting to look at age in that way. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. There are two ways to look at this. One is when you're really, really young, when you're a baby, your ego hasn't formed yet. And so, so like this need to be in control and to lengthen yourself is not quite there. So in many ways, you're way more enlightened than any, anyone older than you, you know? Um, and then this other thing that comes as you're talking, which is, you know, one of the reasons why maybe people around my age to about 20 years older than me feel very strong about maintaining the copy. It's around their, like, it's like, this is the age group that is supposed to like maintain culture. So it'd be bad if they broke culture. I mean, this is taboo. And so if, um, and I'm not saying it's true, it's just like how people think. And so back to like the 400 year old tofu factory that runs in the family. If I'm the one in, who inherits that factory, and I'm like, fuck this, I'm gonna, I'm gonna make art. And I just let the factory close down. I'm considered bad, right? Cause I somehow killed something that other people, no, 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 that thing has meaning. Well, that thing has meaning. You, you can't let it die. Someone should take it over because what you're doing is the Ai Weiwei thing. You're breaking the Ming vase. You're like this 400 years of tradition. It has no inherent meaning. Like another way to look at this, which is kind of a little bit going off topic. I want to say this, but it feels mindy energy. So I'm trying to not have mindy energy. So whenever that tofu factory was founded, it probably was fresh and it probably was pertinent to the technology and the culture and the everything that it was. But then after a while, this 400 year old tradition thing started to become an entity. And then just the factory itself was like, oh my God, I don't want to die, right? Like it's like the factory itself. And the more people feed it their energy, all the people who work there, all the people who go, yes, 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 this 400 year old factory is really, really important. It feeds the entity of the factory. So to kill the entity, you know, me, I'm an artist. I don't care about tofu. Go get it somewhere else. You know, um, I'm killing the entity and I'm refusing to feed my energy to this entity and I'm calling it out. You have no inherent meaning your best meaning was probably 300 years ago. You know, you're already dead. And the only reason you were alive up until this point was because my forebears had the consciousness level to think that they would have meaning by giving all of their energy to the entity of the factory. How is that landing with people? Stefan? And then Ale? Um, it lands well, I, I got it all. Uh, I thank you, but uh, I actually have to go. I'm really sorry, I didn't realize it was gonna be more than an hour. All right. I'm so sorry.
No worries. See you later. But thank you for everything. Yep. Bye. Bye. Okay, Ali, did you, did you want to share something? Uh, yeah, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for explaining that. Um, yeah, um, again, I found it very interesting to talk about how there's, there's the image projected of importance if something is carried on. And I mean, I understood this because um, we have a local factory which has been around for a very long time and it's really only used locally and it's not a very alive thing. It's not like a tradition around here, but it's continued on by the um, different generations. It's still in the family. And I interviewed um, with my class, one of the owners and they were talking, well, yes, this is my pride. This is my, this is what my family started and this is what I want to continue. So I understood that um, ideology a lot and I found it very interesting. Thank you for sharing that. And I'm curious, you know, I'm, I'm just curious. There's no right or wrong answer to this one. I'm curious, can you like cosmically wink at that person and be like, I see you, you know, like, <laughs> like, this is very important. This has a lot of meaning for me. This, this factory gives my life meaning and I'm going to use my life to give this factory meaning all over again. I mean something, I exist, you know, the thing that this person is doing, can you like, good job, like, yeah, I can say that I I probably wouldn't have the same opinion. Like, as you said, with you want to do art, I want to do music. So if that was my family feeding this um, tradition to give my life importance would be meaningless to me. Right. But if this is truly what makes this human feel like they're fulfilling life and they're, they're they have meaning then I can I can sit there and like say good for you and feel like I'm happy that this is what makes you happy right I guess for me there's this like underlying I see exactly what you're doing I wouldn't do that but hey, this is all a cosmic joke. Like we're all doing something. We're all addicted to something, you know? Um, to me, I guess for me, I had, for me, I think it kind of like takes on that flavor. I'm like, oh, this is how you chose to be a human. You chose to be the strawberry popsicle. I'm going to be the vanilla popsicle, you know? Um, hmm. Hala? Oh, did you just make a motion with your finger? <laughs> yeah, I made it. Uh, I made a motion, but um, yeah, it's interesting because it's like a lot of the identity we have, whether it's cultural or financial or the status we have in society for artists gives us this meaning. And it's all these things that feed our ego and mm -hmm. maybe make us feel we're alive. And it goes back again. I talk about kids because I work with children and this was the most 
amazing time where I would just I couldn't wait to go and work in the nursery and I'll just sit and watch the kids and they were from one to three and anytime I would have a bad day I was just sit and just see how the kids handle things and how they deal with problems or sadness or friendships and it was just so honest and it didn't have all these layers and all this ego and all this identity and it goes back to also sitting with my grandma who maybe she's a bit old school she's traditional but there's this wisdom and there's this ease just being with her um so yeah it's just to go back to that point and bring back this identity and um yeah thanks for sharing one thing i didn't really stress in this talk is something else i also believe which obviously you don't have to believe but I'll just share it. Despite all this stuff of like life has no inherent meaning, blah, 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 blah. I also do believe that you are a unique frequency and it's your job to be that frequency. So the problem most people have is they are so scared to be their frequency. They do this other thing. They do their ego thing. And the ego thing is a reaction to trauma when you're growing up. So those one to three-year-olds, their egos probably haven't formed yet, not completely. Um, but as young as three years old, or sometimes even in utero, I've seen children react to the lack of safety that their parents provided for them, and then started doing this other thing that their mom would accept, you know, and that's when their ego started to form. So that's when it starts to become hard for you to feel and honor and be your true frequency and so I think what Holly, you're experiencing are a bunch of beings being closer to their true frequency. And that's a very relaxing thing to be around because remember what I said, being a human is almost like a, a state of tension. You can say it's like that. And one of the ways that that happens to be the case is because you have an ego and your ego is stressed. Like your ego doesn't wanna die. Your ego wants to be accepted and your ego is scared to be your true self, your true frequency. And when you're your true frequency, like quasi egoless, you're not stressed, you're very relaxed. You know, it's, it's very close to surrendering to anything. So I'm sure that's very medicinal for you in that way. And the other thing I wanted to say, you know, just coming off on that, like just kind of as a jumping point from that topic is you also are a true frequency. You know, you also are something unique. So even if that harp string is plucked once and then that sound dies, even if you pluck that harp string a second time, it will be a different sound and you can never get that original sound back. And that is who we are. We are, we are our snowflakes. We are unique. And I would argue that we should in big quotation marks, because there's no such thing as should, we should be our true selves and we should stop being our fake selves. That's another thing I totally argue. And that has some kind of touching point with, with this today's talk of the, the meaninglessness or the meaningfulness of life, um, but it's sort of a separate topic, but I think it should be in there because it's not just, um, you're a copy, <laughs> you don't exist. You know, I mean, yeah, but there's also this other thing. So um, 
even though we technically have some time left, we can also close early if the energy feels that way. But if you want, we can have more Q&A for about 15 more minutes. Ali? Um, I, um, I just have one last question, I think. Um, would you say that if, for example, let's use the example from before, if you continue on a family tradition, but maybe you're pressured to do that instead of doing what you actually wanna do, something you're more passionate about, do you think that, that that can like take away a little bit from the meaning of your life? Okay, thank you for asking that question. So this is what I hear. If there's a family tradition and you feel pressure from the people older than you to continue this family tradition, it's probably because they want you to copy the copy and reaffirm that their copy is meaningful, right? right? Um, so you hear that, the copy stuff, all the copies. The second thing you hear is they probably more ha have more power than you in the hierarchy, mainly because they're your parents. Parents usually always have more power than their, their children. Sometimes when the parent is extraordinarily old and, and the child now has all the wealth and the power in the family, it can be a little bit flipped. But usually, even when the parent is like, you know, 60 and the child is like 40, the parent has more power in the hierarchy just because because the child cares for the parent's approval. So as long as either materially the child needs the parents uh, to take care of them or emotionally the child needs their parents' approval, if that's the case, the parents have more power in the hierarchy, no matter how old or young the parents or children are. So here you have the second thing at play. First you had the copy thing, then you had the force. Now I'm gonna use my position in the hierarchy to force you, force you to do something according to my willpower to reinforce my sense that I exist, that I have meaning, you know, that I have value, I have value, I measure my value based on how I can influence your life. And the most extreme version of this would be an emperor who has conquered many, many, many lands and literally can like kill anyone and it's not considered illegal because those things are his, you know, like it's like how much influence or power do you have over someone else's life? Um, so you hear those two things. Do you want to play that game? You know, that's, that's, that's a delicious thing for you. You know, now that's your stage, you know, you're, you're on your stage with your play um, I don't want know what the script is, but you know, this is very similar to, and then someone slaps me on the face, you know, and then your parents tell you, you have to do this thing. How are you going to react? You know, and, and like this other really crazy meta level, like, is that real? <laughs> is that even real? <laughs> is your life real? I don't know. That's maybe a little bit too meta right now. Um, the other thing I hear in here, here in here is that you, you feel your true self and you are feeling pressure to live out an ego fake self. So are you gonna honor your true self? This is interesting, you know? This is what I'd call the hero's journey. And this is probably what's 
you know, playing out on your stage play that is your life, you know. Um, and I don't mean to downplay experiences because that's the whole point. That's the whole point. The whole point is to have this experience. The whole point is to be like, oh, my parents are going to reject me or my parents disapprove. Can I forge my own path anyway? What if they cut me off financially? Can I forge my own path anyway? What if they won't talk to me anymore, you know? And I will never get their approval. Can I forge my own path anyway? This is a very delicious experience. And I would say that's pretty much the reason you're here with an overlay as opposed to just being at Nirvana. Big quotation marks there, right? But like, this is your overlay to experience exactly this. So I can't, I can't tell you, you know, this or that has more or less meaning or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's obviously it's your life, but I would encourage you to be your true self. Um, and I think I would, I think you would mind the most experiences that feel the most delicious by doing that. And I really don't like to give recommendations, but that's sort of like a tenant of how I see life is just be your true self, no matter what, be your true self, you know? And if you're afraid of the cost, if you're afraid of the consequences and you do that fake self thing instead, and I just guarantee that the quality of experience you're going to have is more akin to the copy power force control type of experience than the witness. I love you. Compassion type of experience. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Thank you for sharing. Is there anyone else? Yeah, Samantha. I wanted to ask you if you can share maybe a little bit more about other ways that we cover up our truth frequency, like your experience of, oh, yeah. of that. I... Okay. The main way I say that we cover up our truth frequency is through addictions and entities. And usually actually entities just serve our addictions. So it's like some aspect of you, your mind just can't get off a thing. It just cannot, it has like literally no self-control and you have no control over it. So it starts to run the ship. And whether it's an addiction, I mean, some people have an addiction to porn, you know, and other people have addiction to cookies. And other people have an addiction to like likes on like social media. I mean, it's choose, choose your thing, whatever, but it's an addiction. Um, and other people, I swear to God, they have an addiction to like running at 6 a.m. in the morning. I mean, they will run no matter what. And they think it's like good for them, but it's really an addiction, you know, because they're not listening to their body voice and they're doing it even when their inner child doesn't want to go running, you know? So, um, so this really keeps you from feeling your truth frequency because you're doing this other thing instead, even if the other thing seems good or healthy. But remember running at 6 a.m. in the morning, that's a copy. That's a copy because it's an idea from society, you know, where we decide that that's healthy or whatever. Um, and it probably feels good to you because you think that you're embodying an image of someone who's accepted by society. Uh, so especially if you're doing it at cost to the actual health of your body, like you're doing it even when you shouldn't go running, when your body needs a rest day, you know, this kind of thing. Um, so, you know, you know, entities is a whole other topic, but I mainly see people 
being addicted to anything, name it. There's an addiction for it. And uh, using entities to help make themselves unconscious enough and addictive, addictive enough, addicted enough that there's very little room for growth or awareness there. So, you know, very, very quickly for, you know, some of you who have no idea what I'm talking about when, I, when I'm saying entities. I used the word entitized earlier in the talk. So basically the entities I see are low vibrational energies that have a will to survive and they don't want to die. They just kind of float around and they also live in our bodies. And so if we don't do something about them, they can cause physical disease um, and they can definitely cause like spiritual disease and mental illness. So, you know, even like depression, you can consider that a sadness entity that's kind of taken over someone's system. You can see it like that. But the main thing about entities is that they have a will to survive. So they'll do anything to not die. And that's when they can create havoc. Um, every once in a while, even like someone gets kicked out of a Zoom when we're doing like a, let's say a spiritual teaching and they get kicked out of a Zoom, it's maybe because there's an entity that didn't want them to be in the Zoom, you know, this kind of thing. Like this, this, this can happen. Entities can like shift reality. Um, that's, that's a very big other kind of topic, but most people use entities as their unwitting servants where they pick up an entity along the way, they keep it because it helps them feel a certain way. So some people really like feeling angry, like it makes them feel something. They like to feel angry. So they'll keep an entity that helps them feel angry around. Um, and then it changes their logic. So they start to like make decisions that really hurt them so they can create more situations in real life that give them an excuse to be angry, you know? So this is the main way that most people keep themselves from even being able to feel their truth frequency, let alone feel safe enough to live it because the entity convinces you that you're unsafe to live it. So if you have an entity that's really fearful, for example, when you give it your power, it's your servant, but you give it your power, it might convince you that saying no to your parents will lead to a really, really bad outcome and you won't be able to survive. Then it's really hard for you to live your truth frequency. You have to let go of this entity and you have to have control over your own life and destiny and just trust yourself that, that if you live your truth frequency, you will have the best outcome ever. Like there's no other way if you live your truth frequency, you will have the best outcome ever. There's literally, logically, there's no other way because that's your highest vibrational self. So you're going to have the highest vibrational outcome. But these entities can do mind tricks and convince you, oh, no, 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 no. If your parents financially cut you off, you will die. So you might as well just do what they say and be unhappy, you know, because at least you can survive. Um, so like this, like stupidity sounds like to me, stupidity, the stupidity starts to make a lot of logical sense when you have an entity in your system. So that's the main way. Thanks. Yeah, thanks for asking. <laughs> so Holly, do you have one last question? No, there's right. a lot, uh, I'm taking all of this in. I have a lot to think about. Yeah, I mean, this is a big talk. This is a big talk <laughs> with a lot of big concepts. Um, it was nice. Wondering if we could go around just sharing what we learned today, what really hit home, and even things that maybe you'll just like think about more later, uh, just like the big ones, just look kind of like, aha, you know, what was aha for you today? 
Yeah, Ali. So the big aha for me today was, um, I think the definitely the um, the the talk we went in about ages and um, um, yeah, how there's an a nice difference from when you are a baby or a, tod a toddler and then when you're an older and then when you are more in an assertive position in a certain age range. Um, and yeah, also about what you just said now about the entities, how people hang on to them to eventually feed them when they need it. Um, as also sort of addiction to feel that kind of way. So um, yeah. I found this very interesting today. I found everything interesting, but those were, uh-huh. All right, great, thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Samana? Sure, so for me definitely also was like, I never thought of babies and older people being closer to source. I never saw it like that so clearly as today, so. And another thing that was really interesting for me is that culture thing dying. I think that's something that I will like, yeah, just think about a little bit more and not just from culture also, and not just in a terms of like business thing, but also what, get, what gets passed on from our parents' behaviors, like all the way down the line from our grandparents, grand-grandparents. So I find this, very very interesting aspect to yeah just re respect and go back to sure thanks for sharing that could you please tell me more what you mean by this culture dying thing yeah it's like um what i meant was like that tofu that kind of tofu factory you were talking about and then you're like you're this dancer and you don't want to do it anymore. And it's like you're, I, because I see a very similar pattern in like parents having expectations of you, not just doing business things, but also the way that you are and what you do and what you like. So that's what I find very interesting how this concept of how you said it about the business I also saw it in every other behavior that gets like passed down the line in the family to survive. Yes, you're absolutely correct. And it's really profound. If we go back to this idea that we're all at nirvana already, and by the way, Hala, I'll get to you, but I'm going to talk a little bit more. Like if we get, if we go back to this idea that we're all at nirvana already, so the only way to have this experience is to have an overlay, the overlay of what seems like you, like you, <laughs> you're the overlay. And what it does is it limits your perception. So you're actually not perceiving the nirvana you're at already. So you have limitations. These are boundaries. I'd love to talk about the spirituality of boundaries at some point, because you know, that's my thing. But these are boundaries and these boundaries create your experience. And also culture is a bunch of boundaries or rules. And it's like 
taboo if you break the rules. So in uh, Europe, you hold the fork in one hand and you use the knife in the other hand and you just keep it there and you just like eat like that, right? But in the United States, you switch, like you cut and then you switch and then you keep you know, eating with uh, the fork in your right hand. Um, some people from Europe seeing an American eat who aren't that international might be like, <gasps> you know, that person's eating wrong you know, like, and it might really make them feel uncomfortable. And so the European parent is going to teach the European child, you hold the fork here, you hold the knife there. This is how we eat. You know, like it, it goes even down to that. That's a rule, you know? Um, and so that's a copy. Remember that's a copy. That's a big copy. Who came up with that? Royalty didn't even use forks hundreds of years ago. That was an invention. That was new not too long ago, you know, like copy. And so like, if you don't do exactly what I do, um, then it, it, it vibrates the sense within me that maybe my life is meaningless. So I'm gonna force you to do what I do to make sure that my life has meaning. Even children are copies. I wanna know that I exist. So one aspect, one as, only one aspect is like, I'm gonna have a baby. Then I know I exist because my baby is a copy, you know? And I can like make my baby, you know, grow up in my religion, you know, and all these other things, speak the language I speak. It goes profound. Everything's a copy. Like everything's a copy. And, and it's unnecessary. But without these rules, we don't have culture. And without culture, there's no like order. And with no order, there's no like anything. The reason why we're not at nirvana right now perceiving that we are, we are at nirvana. But the reason why we're not perceiving it is because we wanted to have this more, um, I'll argue this, we wanted to have this more dense type of experience where there is a separation between masculine and feminine and a dance with limitations. Then within that cauldron, we can have experiences. We need this cauldron to have experiences. So we need a culture that says fork and right hand, you know, knife and left hand, basta. Whereas like, then there's something to do. Then there's something to do. You can do it or not do it. Now you have a choice. But if there's no idea of that at all, then there's less for us to play with and less um, container for us to have an experience within. I was watching this documentary. I, apparently I, I watched a lot of documentaries. I was watching this documentary about like how these, uh, this native tribe in si Siberia does um, their tents. And it was like really weird to me because there's this one sacred pole that women are not supposed to cross. So like, if this is the pole, you know, you walk around it this way, you walk around it this way, but you don't like cross it, you know? And it was only women, men can cross it, but women couldn't cross it. And I was getting really upset. Like, why are they discriminating against the women? What's up with this pole, you know? But then I start to relax. It's just, it's just culture, you know? It's almost arbitrary. You can almost say that it's, it, but it's just culture. And the rule helps give order to that culture. And you just gotta, you know, I don't know, like, that's what it is. So as long as someone's copying that, that culture exists. And if people stop copying that, then the culture dies. And um, you can apply that to everything. So yeah, I'm glad that the culture thing kind of was a thing. And I love 
burrata. I love artisanal cheese. I hope those things exist for a very long time. I love handmade tofu. I hope someone carries on that tradition. I'm not saying that the tradition is bad. You know, there's a reason, right? There's a reason for a lot of these things. Um, so I, like I said, I want to say one time, I love culture, <laughs> but culture is a coffee and you don't always have to use it unconsciously to give your life meaning just because you don't feel like there's any other choice. You can conscientiously, you can conscientiously engage in culture. You can wink, you know, <laughs> like you can, you know, like um, it's the, it's the cosmic joke. So I don't know if you have a response to that, Simona. No, just thank you. That cosmic joke just came back to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I love it. I have this friend who, Sometimes we just start laughing and we literally cannot stop laughing. And then we start to get like, kind of like scared because we can't stop laughing. And we're laughing for like 10 to 15 minutes straight about what seems like nothing, but it's the cosmic joke. And we know it's the cosmic joke and we don't even have to talk about it because we feel it, you know, like we feel it. And that's a very egoless kind of experience. And it's a very similar feeling to what I talked about that friend I said goodbye to, and we're just like looking at each other with love. It was the same thing. We didn't have to talk about it. You just feel it. You just know. Um, it's very, very close to enlightenment kind of experience. It's very nice. So hello. Your ahas. Mm -hmm. um, I saw that the documentary also was really interesting. Oh. Sorry, could you say that <laughs> one more time loudly? Um, I saw also the Siberian documentary by chance the other day. That's really interesting. interesting. <laughs> uh, the aha moment. I mean, it's things I've discussed before, but the context we spoke about it and everyone's different opinion about it, it really made a lot of sense to me. This idea of copycat and also how Simona asked you to bring up the analogy with the Ai Weiwei uh, piece of art. Um, the, the idea of culture is very recurring to me because it's like, you know, it's like I this is the dynamic in my family because it's culture. This is how my parents are because it's culture. And there is this over-identifying, but also using culture as like, it's romantic, you know, like this is your heritage and this is who you are. And it's a lot of over-identifying. I'm seeing it now. And um, yeah, it's interesting. I mean, the context we spoke about it today made me realize a lot of things. And I, it made me realize how much I use this idea of culture to explain certain things I do or um, accepting certain dynamics in my family that don't really work, you know? And just roles we're all playing because yeah. this is our role and this is our culture and you know, thank you for sharing that. I don't know, to me, it just seems, I don't even want to talk again. Cause that's just it. That's perfect. Like that's perfect. You're having the perfect human experience. That's perfect like all the conflict, you know? Do you agree with the culture? Do you disagree? Do you help uphold your parents' sense of their meaning of life in the first way, the copy way? Do you go against it and annihilate them, which is what they're gonna feel? 
you get to be a human, you know, <laughs> this is human. Like there's no, like, obviously there's no right or wrong, obviously, you know, it's just like, how do you want to play this game? Um, I love it. So uh, again, thank you for sharing. <laughs> I think this is a good end to our talk today. Uh, thank you for being here. And um, for those of you who are not present in the room with me, if you want to do a conscientious energy exchange, if this talk had some kind of value to you, then you can tell the universe that this talk had value to you and ask the universe for more of this kind of talk by making an energy exchange at paypal.me slash silkyavatar. And what that does is your behavior, like your action tells the universe, I want more of this. I want to invite in more of this. And it also helps you have cleanliness with this kind of programming. Um, and I love to bring this. I love to bring this to you. So thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time. <laughs>